0: Thanks for being here this morning. I am grateful you're with us, and if I didn't have a chance to last week tell you, Happy New Year. 2017 is here. We're already a week into it, and as I think about the week, and I think about the year, and I think about all the things you are getting ready to take place, I'm excited for what's in store in 2017. The sad thing is, and the scary thing is, I have no idea what's in store, but I'm still excited about it. As we move into 2017 as a church Uh, We have roughly about uh, 10 and a half months left on the lease here in this building. And what we do next is a huge question mark. And I've been praying and praying and praying. And I'm hoping that you have been too with us to see where God would have us to go. Whether we have a stay, whether we have a stay and buy the building itself and expand over to the next side. Whether we find someplace else, whatever that might be. And we kind of need to know quick. So if you're praying, pray with a little bit of urgency. As a matter of fact, that's kind of one of the things we've been talking about. As we said, we're going to kick off 2007. We said what we want to do is we want really four goals, four moving parts to 2017 as we have it for our church, hopefully it as your family, as well as you as an individual. That our 2017 goals are number one, to live urgently. To live urgently, to pray specifically, to evangelize and disciple intentionally, and to give generously. And we we're going to look at those and those four things, and I call them moving parts. And the reason why I call them moving parts is because each one of those words really, it's interchangeable. As you look at living urgently, as you living praying specifically, as you live at, uh, look at uh, the uh, idea of evangelizing or discipling intentionally, and as well as giving generously, you can take any one of those first four words and put one of the last four words at any one of them. Because we can definitely be praying specifically and urgently and intentionally and generously. We have every one of those things. So as we look at that, we see that in, in this year coming up, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to happen, and I'm excited to say that the reason why we even have those, if you can't memorize all of those, those have been ones that have been in my head for, for six, eight weeks about this is what we need to do for 2017. What you can do is you can just remember we have to live, we have to pray, we have to evangelize discipleship, and we have to give with a purpose and a passion in 2017. And hopefully that goes well beyond 2017. That what we do has a reason. That what we do has everything. And I I want to look back on the year in 2017 after it's all said and done to say that was a year that marked the change in my life. That was the year that marked the change in your life. That was the year that we saw change take place in the church. That was the year that we saw God do some amazing things. And hopefully it's not the only year but we can look back we can have that mark on it. And I believe it starts with us praying specifically, living urgently, evangelizing intentionally, and most giving generously of ourselves and our time and our finances and those things. All of that plays together to make 2017 happen. And I want to be able to say we have this passion that really got lit in 2017. I think the reason why I say that is this week i I was looking back on two thousand and sixteen and we talked about it last week with our communion service and we talked about about how uh, communion and and uh, new year 's kind of go hand in hand and we talked about looking back and looking ahead and looking looking around and, and looking within and looking up and we said that that 's really what new year's does for us, and, and that 's really what what communion does for us and as I, I said that and I saw that, I really began to look back and, and there were some things about 2016 that I didn't particularly like in my own life. There were times in 2016 where I felt like I was just going through the motions. Jerome and I talked about it a little bit this week. Christy and I talked a little about it a little bit this week. But there was, there was kind of a chunk in there that it just seemed like I was living Sunday to Sunday. And for me, that's, that's my weekly mark. Uh, you know, I have to just make sure I'm ready for Sunday. Everything else can just kind of happen. And maybe you have a different day that you can live day to week to week, whatever it might be. And I said, you know... That wasn't the way it should be approached, because I, I haven't been given enough time in my life to just be okay with wasting huge chunks of it, to just be okay with, with existing or, or coasting or being on autopilot through it. And when, when I started to look at that, I said, you know, 2017 has to be different. It has to be different, and I began to think about us doing c- c- communion and and. and as we kicked off 2017 and, and we said we need to look back we also said we need to look ahead we also said that we need to look around and we said we need to look within and I began to say maybe there's something inside of me that causes me to look within to, to say what was it that caused me to waste that time what was it that caused me to go into autopilot what what was it was it was it a heart issue? And as we took communion last week, you know, one of the things that, that uh, I get to do when we, we do communion is I get to do it three times. And sometimes that's difficult because I want to take it with the church family, but, but I don't want it to be something that I just do because I'm doing it with the church family. I want it to be something that actually matters. Because when, when, Paul, when Paul got to the point where he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church that we talked about last week, he got to the point, he said, hey, you guys need to examine your hearts you guys need to look within yourselves and figure out what you're doing and why you're doing it and i got to thinking why did he do that and it just happened to be this week that men's bible study on on friday mornings at six over there at twisters we just happened to be in first corinthians chapter 11 into this very passage and why did paul say examine your heart why did he say that and i think sometimes it is because we have a tendency to go through the motions And as we go through the motions, we forget things. And he says, I want you to remember. As a matter of fact, Jesus told you to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take that cup that represents the blood, when you take that bread that represents the body, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Well, what exactly is it we're supposed to be remembering? When we stop and think about it, well, we go, well, we're remembering Jesus' death. Yes, we are. We're remembering Jesus' resurrection. Yes, we are. But what is it that we're supposed to be remembering about that? And I believe he's saying, Exactly what Jesus said when he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, do this in remembrance as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He wants you to remember the new covenant. See, there was a point in time when he's sitting at that table, those people that are sitting around with him, uh, they understood the old covenant. They understood the old covenant that was given to Moses, and Moses was given this, that the blood that was shed by that lamb was something that had to be done on a regular basis, almost daily for most people, because they needed to atone for their sins. And Jesus, on the cross, at the end, was on there, and he said, it is finished. And the reason why he said, it is finished, is because Why? There was no more work left to do. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And there's a new covenant that is now started. This new covenant, it doesn't base itself on what Moses was given. It's based on what Jesus has given us through his blood and his sacrifice. And that new covenant should inspire us. That new covenant should excite us. That new covenant should make us want to live generously and to give generously and to pray generously and to evangelize generously. He should do all of those things, that should inspire up inside of us, not want us just to be like, hey, it's another day. Hey, it's just another thing that we're going to go through. And, and we see this new covenant, and if you understand that the, the idea of a covenant, if you ever signed an agreement, a covenant, you understand there's two parts to it. There's a part that, that Christ, he fulfilled, and there's a part that we fulfill. What's our part in the new covenant? That's a question that's worth asking, isn't it? What's our part in that? And I looked at it and I said, you know, I believe our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ who, first of all, gave us that new covenant. Our job is to, to live it out, to, to believe in faith. Why? Because he's the one that fulfilled it on our behalf and we're supposed to live in him. That led me to what we're going to talk about for the next probably three months. Not all at once, obviously. But in the next three months, we're going to be talking about Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't, it's going to be up here on the screen here shortly. Or I've actually had it printed out and put it inside the bulletin as well, the entire chapter. Because maybe you don't like to write in your bulletin, but maybe you want to take some notes on some things that we're going to talk about. And you can write on that and just kind of slide it in there so you always have it there with you inside that bulletin there. But, you know, what we look at, and we look at this idea of exercising faith, the question is what exactly is faith? I mean, it's a word that we like to throw around quite a bit. Sometimes we name our kids it. Maybe it's their middle name. Maybe it's their first name. What is faith? What exactly is it that we are doing? It's an important word that's in the Bible. And as I, I've been studying Hebrews chapter 11, it's become bigger and bigger to me over this time. And I'm hoping over the next three months, it becomes bigger and bigger to you as well. Because as we look at faith, it's like I said, it's an important word in the Bible. It, you can find all different verses to talk about faith. Faith Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's what we're saved by. Romans 1.17 says that we live by faith. Romans 4, 13 says we receive righteousness by faith. Romans 5, 1 says that we are justified in Christ by faith. Romans 5, 2 says we have access to God and his grace by faith. 2 Corinthians 1:24 says we stand firm in our belief by faith. Galatians 3.14 says we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. 1 Timothy 1.4 says we do God's work by faith. And Galatians 5.5 says that we wait for Christ's return by faith. Faith is an extremely important word to the followers of Christ. The thing is, it's not just a Christian thing. Faith is an everybody thing, isn't it? When you really stop and think about it, we all, whether Christian or not. We all hook our lives into something to hold on to, to hope in, and to follow, and to chase after. We all put our faith in something. You know, we're going to look at this week at the kickoff of Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see there, maybe you knew it already, but it's kind of a rough definition of faith. It's not the exact definition of what it is, but it, it, it kind of builds up what faith really will be explained to us and defined as over the rest of this chapter, over the next three months as we dive into it. And I look at it and I see this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. See, we all want to know. We all want to be sure. We all want to search for that hope, whether that be a Christian or that not be. But I really like the the way the message version puts it and defines it. Let me read that for you. It says, A fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. See, I'm pretty sure this verse isn't the technical definition of faith. But what it is is it gives us the root, the dynamics of what faith is that we can apply to God as we see it applied throughout Scripture and we see it applied throughout our lives. And we can see it applied in in all different people because here's the truth of the matter. Everybody lives by faith. Every single person lives by faith. Even if they say they're faithless, they have faith in their faithlessness. As dumb as that might sound, it is the truth. And we look at that and we say, you know, if you're going to, uh, you're here by faith. Whether you know it or not, you're here by faith. You got in your car this morning with faith that when you put the key in the ignition, it was going to turn over. Some of you had more faith than others. And as you turn that key over, you knew that when you put it into reverse to back out of the driveway and put it into drive, that you're going to have faith that your tires were going to hold together, that your, your um, engine wasn't going to break down, that your heater hopefully was going to work, and that you would get to your destination. And your destination, you had faith you would get to. On Friday morning, I took Camden down to get his learner's permit. It was a great day to do it because nobody went to the DMV because there was ice and snow bad day to learn how your first day to how to drive though and so uh we were we were going to leave the parking lot and you know i had to put my faith and trust and everything in in this 15 and a half year old that was sitting next to me and he did great but at the same time i had to say yeah i'm gonna let you drive and there's things like that in every aspect of our life. If you're going to go to a restaurant here, just in a little bit, we're going to have hot tamales delivered. I have faith that the people that cook that food knew what they were doing, because the last thing I want is to have a little potluck thing going on here, and everybody gets sick. That's the reason why I hired it out and didn't say everybody bring a dish, because I've been to plenty of church potlucks, where so I'm like, not eating that? Know where the house that came from? So those are, those are, the, those are the realities of life. So we said, hey, we're just going to do it this way, because there is faith that you have in those people. And we have that when we do that, when we buy it at the store, whether we go to a restaurant, whatever it might be. you know, We have faith that when we go to the doctor, when something is wrong, that they are not just merely practicing medicine, but they actually have a clue what they're doing, right? I mean, even though it is called a practice and they say they're practicing medicine, you're hoping and praying and having faith that they actually know what they're doing and there's a diagnosis and that they have the competency to diagnose and to help solve that problem by prescribing the right medication or prescribing the right thing. We all have faith. Whether we have it in God or not, that's a whole different story. We all live by faith. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't trust anybody, and life would be very difficult. We wouldn't trust anything, and life would be very difficult. But Christians are different. And it's not because we have faith, but it's because of the object of our faith. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us do this, and that's why when we look at that first part of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the first phrase says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. See, everybody wants to hope in something. Everybody longs, everybody searches, everybody looks, everybody wants something to, to get up in the morning for. And that's the reason why I said, hey, we need to live and give and pray and evangelize intentionally and and specifically and generously. We need to have a a purpose for it, not just to do it, but to do it because we have faith in Christ that what's going to happen is going to multiply and and go out and change this world. See, hope isn't just something that believers are concerned about. Hope is a quest of, of every human being. To have that hope and a reason to get up in the morning. I mean, let's just be honest. George Lucas is a very, very rich man because he had a story about hope. Because if you know what the first title is, of the first Star Wars that came out in 1977. It's a what? A new hope. And the Rogue One that just came out that feeds into that story that ties in very well with it is all about hope. Not hope in Christ. Not hope in anything. Just hope. Hope, because we want to have that hope. We want to have something that we can look forward to. We want to have something that we can wake up in the morning and say, yes, my life has a purpose. But Christians are different with that hope. See, that's why it says, now faith is the assurance. Not just have hope, but I want to be sure that what my hope is in isn't a waste of my time. That what my hope is in is is so much more than that. You know, I believe from the very time that we're born, that is ingrained inside of us. People, they they want their children to talk. And the first child, you're like, I just can't wait. I I want them to be the first child in the nursery to speak and and be able to do all that. And then by your fourth child, you're like, just, no, I don't want them to talk. Not yet. Not yet. Because from the time they're able to talk to the time they're not able to talk, we all have the same question. And that same question is, why? And we ask why. Why do we ask why? Why is it? It's because we have that hope and desire and assurance that is just ingrained inside of us. And from the ages 2 to 18, they will ask why 45,000 times. And the reason why isn't just because they want to. It's because they want to be sure. They want to know the answers. They want to know where their hope is at is where exactly it's going to be not wasted. They want that to happen. We want to be convinced. We want to think that somehow, some way, we're building our life on, like what it said in that message version, on a solid, firm foundation, on that solid ground. See, all different people are filled with hope. I know so many people from so many different religious backgrounds, from so many non-religious backgrounds. I know hardcore atheists to hardcore Christians and everything in between. And every single one of them has hope. The atheist has hope that what they believe is true. And sometimes they say, well, I don't have any faith. And I'm like, I I beg to differ. You have more faith than I do. Because in all reality, an atheist who doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in eternity, and they're putting all their hope in that, and they're hooking their hope in that, well, guess what? If they're wrong, that's a bad thing. When I put all my hope and all my faith in Jesus, for some reason I'm wrong, well, guess what? I didn't lose anything. When it all comes right down to it and everything in between, we look at that and we say, how do we have our hope? Where is it at? What are we convinced of? Where is our assurance? See, you'll never meet an irreligious person in your life because irreligion in itself is a religion. Faithlessness is having faith. The hope is there and we're committed to it. And that's what we live our lives by. And that's why we wake up in the morning. And the Hebrew writer wasn't done there. He says, now the faith is the assurance that being sure of the things you hope for. And the second part is the conviction of things not seen. See, everybody's concerned about the world of the unseen reality. I believe, and I would, I would be willing to argue this, that, that our lives are determined more by the things we don't see than by the things that we do. And when I say that, I say it in this way: that that our lives are directed not by the eyes that are in our head, but instead by the eyes that are in our heart. And and I know that might sound weird. And, and uh, if you grew up in the in the '90s and you were a Christian, or uh, you just saw TV commercials that John Tesh did, there there was a song that uh, it was called "Open the Eyes of My Heart." And I believe it was Michael W. Smith who actually wrote it, but. It was a song that we sang at every summer camp and all of those things like that. And, and the crazy thing is, is, is I got to actually thinking about this song this week and said, you know what, it actually makes more sense now when I look at this idea of faith and the things that are unseen, because the whole cry is, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, because what? Yeah, because you guys are already singing the song in your head, so you knew what I was going to say next. I want to see you. Well, why do we want to see you? Why do we want to see you with the eyes of our heart? Well, I I want to have conviction, and I want to be assured, and I want to have this hope to know that you are real. Not only do I want to see you, I want to see you high and lifted up. So I want to know that your place in this entire galaxy is the supreme one. one. I I want to know that, high and lifted up. And, And I want to cry out, holy, 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 right? And that means to be set apart. That's what I want. I want the eyes of my heart to see that. And when we say that, doesn't that shape everything else? Doesn't that shape everything else in our lives? It would change everything if we could just say, I am searching for the truth and I'm searching for answers. God, just open the eyes of my heart so I can see you and I can know that what I am doing and why I go to church on a Sunday morning and why I live my life every day for you makes a difference. And it's going to make not just a difference here, but it's going to make a difference eternally. That's what I want to know. And that's what faith is. That's why we put our faith in Christ because of that new covenant that was set up back that we talked about at the very beginning. That new covenant is there and it causes us to move forward and it causes us to want to get up in the morning and it causes us to see the world in a different way because every person interprets the world in a different way because of the faith and hope that they have inside of them, whatever it is you have faith and hope in. If it's in Christ, you're going to live your life in a different way. He's going to work in you. He's going to change you. He's going to help you see things that other people aren't going to see. There's things that are going to take place in your life that people are going to go, that doesn't make any sense. It's because they don't have the faith and the hope, and they're not seeing through the same glasses or the same heart eyes that you are. Every human being is developed in that way. And that's one thing that scares me about having kids, that I get to help develop that. That's a lot because their entire lives and all the lives that they touch will be affected by me helping them raise in that way. But isn't that what discipleship is? Isn't that why we need to be intentional with it? Isn't that what evangelism is? That's not the reason why we need to be generous with it and and intentional with it and specific with it? You know, there's so many different things that we see of that, and, and life in itself is so very focused on faith. The question is, where is our faith? That's why I say Christians are different, because the object of their faith changes everything. And the capacity of taking that in and having that faith. And I began to say, why did God give us this desire to know and this desire to, to follow after, to chase after, to, to put our faith into something, whatever that might be. And I truly believe, even though we've skewed it, the reason why he did it so we could get to know him better. So, we continue to chase after him and we continue to grow in him, continue to let him affect our lives and change our lives and change us. And that's why I think the next verse that's written in Hebrews chapter 11 says this in verse 2 For by it, that faith that we've talked about, the people of old received their commendation. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here. They didn't didn't receive their commendation or their, their rewards because they had faith, it's because of the object of their faith and and, and the way they place their faith in God. I believe when we place our faith in God, it will sign us up for a contract, a new covenant that will change everything about the way that we live and the way that we breathe and the way that we act. And that starts to carry over. And, and, you know, I I honestly think about as we dive into these people over the next few weeks that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, every single one of them says, by faith. And as you see that by faith, it's so amazing to think about. Because when you look at the history of the Old Testament, if you don't understand Christianity or you don't understand who God is just a little bit, and you haven't put your faith in him, that history doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, think about Moses. We're going to talk about Moses more. We're going to talk about Noah more. We're going to talk about Abraham more. But just think about Moses for a second. Moses killed a man in Egypt. He was a wanted murderer. He left, he fled, he got away as far as he could, and then he ends up going back. Why? It wasn't because he wanted to. It's because he had faith in God. Think about Noah. Noah, just for a second, as you look at Noah and and you look at his life, he is asked by God to build a boat because it's going to rain. Now, I want you to stop because we know what rain is. But you know what Noah knew? Nothing about rain. Because it had never rained before. It would be like God coming down to you and saying, hey, I need you to build a boat because it's going to gleep later. And you're like, it's going to what? That's exactly it. He didn't know what rain was. And not only did he not know what rain was, but he had to not know what rain was for 120 years. In just a few weeks, I'm going to turn 41. That is one-third of the time that it took Noah to build a boat because it was getting ready to rain you don't think that people around him were giving him a hard time hey nice boat when's that gleep coming you know i i I don't know what but by faith he did what he was called to do that's a crazy story when you look at that how about abraham Abraham was extremely wealthy. He had all the comforts in the world. He had everything that he could possibly need. And you look at Abraham's life, and God tells him, hey, it's time for you to go. You need to go to this new place. Abraham, in every way and thought in his mind, should have said, hey, God, I got it all taken care of right here. I'm good. That's probably what we might relate to the most, right? But God's called him to do something bigger and better and different. And by faith, he did it. And that story after story in Hebrews chapter 11 that we're going to dive into, and I'm excited about it. But as you look at that, I mean, even think about this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go into a fire because they have faith in God. They're willing to be burned in a furnace because they had faith in God. Because they could easily just bow down to that idol, but they didn't. Every single one of those things you see, if you really believe in the existence of God, it's going to change everything about you. It's going to change every way that you see this world, everything that takes place, because you have a hope in something that is greater. You have an assurance in something that is greater. You have a conviction for the things that are unseen. And that is what the Hebrew writer is trying to say. Even more so, let's look at it in our own lives. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. What could be more radical commitment to faith than that? That you believe that a God that you've never officially seen created all of this out of absolutely nothing. No raw materials, no Big Bang, none of that stuff. That's a huge step of faith. That's the reason why we have so many people trying to disprove it. So many people trying to use all the knowledge they can get and all the science that they can get to disprove that because that is just a radical step of faith. And their faith is being put in the wrong thing. But when we have faith in God, doesn't that change the way that we view it? And if, even if we look at that, I mean, think about this creating nothing or something out of absolutely nothing. That, that all that exists now came from nothing because God spoke it into being. I mean... I'm just going to be honest with you. I like to make breakfast. Saturday mornings are kind of my thing. I like to make a big breakfast. But there's never been one time that I stepped up to the table and went, French toast, and boom, there it was. It's never happened. I've tried because it would be a whole lot easier to clean up afterwards, but that's not the case. I have to take the raw ingredients. I have to take the, the bread. I have to take the eggs. I have to take the cinnamon. I have to take the vanilla. I have to take all of this stuff. To make this. And sometimes this doesn't even turn out that great. It's kind of what they call a Pinterest fail. You know, it just doesn't look as pretty as it should. But yet you stop and you say, God created all of this out of nothing and made it as amazing as it is. That your body works the way it does. That the environment works the way that it does. And all of these things work the way that it does just because God spoke it into being. That's a huge step of faith. That's a huge step. And then you even take that to the next step that if you believe that, it implies the fact that he is the creator and all the things that are cre- created are his, which means you're his, the world's his, everything is his. And that changes the way we are. I, I, we went up to uh, Gabriel's, uh, a Mexican food restaurant kind of outside of Santa Fe uh, a few weeks ago with uh, Christy's parents when they were in town. We're sitting at this table and they, they have a, a handful of pictures on the wall and they're, they're for sale. And it's this giant bear Made out of weird orange and blue and purple colors and things like that, and there's there's a a tiger and a moose, and and I'm like, oh, looked at it, and they're like four grand, and I went, what? I could I could do that and charge half the price. I'll I'll make you a deal, and and I was kind of looking at it, going, who in the right mind would charge that? And I looked at this, and I'm thinking, well, it's not the restaurant charging it; it's not theirs. The restaurant merely has it on display to, to share and to use And that. Whose is it? It's the creators, right? It's the painters, the person who created it. And they're loaning it to the restaurant in hopes of selling it, but they probably won't. And right now, <laughs> it's merely on display and being used. <laughs> when we stop and think about that, isn't that kind of the way God uses us? That we are merely on display? we have a really high price tag. A price tag that Jesus was willing to pay for. And that everything here is his. And that every breath I take is his. And that my spouse and my children are his. And that my car and all of my finances and everything are his. Everything that I have is his. And when I stop and think about that, that changes the way I see things. And it all starts because I believe that he created it. It all starts with faith. And you might say, well... How in the world do I have that faith? Where do I get that faith? And I believe the Bible tells us two different ways. Two different ways. And then two different ways, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says this in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, when you stop and pause and think about that for just a second, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is what opens our faith. It's what strengthens our faith. It's it's the reason why, you know, it, isn't God in a God of amazing grace? It, isn't he just so amazing that he knows who we are, and yet he still loves us anyway? He knows that as we sang that, oh come thou fount uh, of, of blessing, there's, there's a verse in there that, that I just love. And it speaks right to me, because Because it basically just says exactly what I am. It says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. I am in debt to the grace that God has for me. Let thy goodness like a fetter. And you might say, okay, what's a fetter? Well, fetter is basically like a a chain that went around your ankle and kept you locked close to the the prisoner. So let let your grace and your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Ah, Lord, I am prone to wander. And I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Take it for the like courts above. Open up the eyes of my heart. I, I want to see you. I, I want to be close to you, but I am a wanderer. I, I, I know what I want, and I know that I want you, and I know my faith is in you, but I have this weird tendency to put my faith in things that are temporary. today's a great example of people who put their faith in the things that are temporary. With playoff football games, there'll be people sitting on the edge of their seat watching that game. And in the process of watching that game, guess what matters? None of it when it really comes right down to it. And I just tell myself that because it eases the pain of loss. But the thing is, is is the truth is, is it, it doesn't really matter. Because what makes the Super Bowl so super? They just play another one next year, right? Just ask Bronco fans. They were in it last year. This year, they didn't even have a chance. The, the, that's the, the reality of it all, and we hold on to those things as if we need to put our faith in that. But he says, no, no, put your faith in me. Live your life according to that. You know, it, it's a, an interesting thing is I think about when we put our faith in him and, and we're in the word, and we're reading and how we're strengthened because it says that the, the, the word of God is our food. It's what we eat. It's what we take in. It's what It's what we... It strengthens our faith. I got to thinking about that this, this last week, because it was six years ago right now that, that I was diagnosed with cancer for the second time, and I went through the, the surgery, and after going through the surgery, I had to go through radiation for eight weeks. At the beginning of radiation, as I shot the, the razor, laser beams into my mouth, uh, it, uh, I weighed 274, Eight weeks later, after having my mouth full of sores and not wanting to eat, I ate a protein shake and a multivitamin every day. That was basically it. I went from 274 down to 190 in eight weeks. That's, that's a lot of weight to lose. But in that process, in losing that weight, I mean, it's a great diet plan, I mean, if you really want to, but the the, the reality of it was is this. I was weak. I was tired. I didn't want to get out of bed. And even though I was hungry, Nothing appealed to me because all of my taste buds were fried. And in that process, I didn't want anything even though I wanted it. And I think about that in our own spiritual life, that, that we may want the Word of God, but we go, ah, it just doesn't have any taste, so I'm just not going to eat it. It we become weaker and weaker and weaker, and our faith becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. We need to be eating In the word of God. And I see that first of all. And the second thing I see is that not only from the hearing the word of God, the second thing is found in Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul writes, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Faith in God is from the gift of his grace. And maybe, just maybe, right now you're sitting here and you're saying, I put my faith in the wrong thing. I, I have wandered down the wrong path. I, uh, my my uh, prone to wander has been for a long time, and I've wandered away from anything that I've ever known about God. Well, maybe today's that day that you stop and you say, His grace is a gift. There's nothing I have to do to earn it, nothing I have to do to deserve it. There's, there's, there's nothing in that. It's a gift that is given to me. And I've, I've heard it. I, all you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry for my unbelief. I I want to put my faith in you. And maybe you've never accepted him before, and that's what you need to do. And maybe you have accepted him, and you're the one who's wandering. It's all you have to do. It's a gift that he's given to us, and his grace is amazing, and it's poured out on us. And all we have to do is say, God, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to put my full faith in you. I want to put my full trust in you. And it starts with the opening of the eyes of the heart and realizing who he is and who you're not. That would be my challenge to you today, and as we, we dive into this and we look at Hebrews and, and we see all the things that are out there, we understand that Christians are different because they live not just by faith, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That would be my challenge to you today, and so let's, uh, let's close up in, in prayer, and as we close up in prayer, I, I just want you to be thinking about that. As you examine yourself, as you look at, at who you are, as you look at, at who God is and how he's working in you and how he is changing you and how he is, he's directing you, Maybe 2017 is that year, like I said, that is a year that is marked by the change in your life. And that change may come from Jesus Christ coming into your life or becoming the actual Lord of your life, that you put all your faith in him. Let's do that. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for Son Jesus Christ, who did establish that new covenant. The covenant that, that you set up that we could have a relationship with you not because we come to church every Sunday, not because we offer bowls in our backyard, not because of any of those things, but because your son came, lived, died, and rose again. And God, that for some is a huge step of faith to say, I'm not in control, but you are. I'm not the one that that is living his life completely and totally for himself. I need to live it for you. God, as you're working in that way, as you're changing our hearts, as you're changing our minds, I pray that it begins right here, right now, as we take this step of faith. And even over the next months, as we look at each character, and by faith, they did so many different things, and by faith, they took those steps. May it be an encouragement to our hearts that by faith, we can live for you in 2017. I pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you. Maybe um, you heard me talking about baptism a little bit ago see, baptism is a huge step of faith. It's saying, I want to tell the world that I am a follower of Christ. I want to invite my family. I want to invite my friends. I want people to see that I once was, that I've been buried, and now I am. That's what baptism is about. Maybe that's something you need to take a step with. Maybe you just need to come and meet Jesus Christ for the first time and put your faith and trust in him that he truly is your Savior. Maybe you need to come back to him because you've wandered. I'll be down here in the front to pray